Hello, and welcome to episode 203 mm-hmm. of SMARTS, which as we all know stands for... Steel Man Adventure Reaches Termination Suddenly. Steel. Okay. Yes, I got <laughs> it. Very good. I am Rudiger Q Podcaster, a.k.a. Trevor, and you are... Julia Gulia of Internet Fame dash podcaster. Correct. Correct. So what you were referring to is the fact that Krypton has unfortunately been canceled by sci-fi. Yep. Or SIFI, as it likes to be known. Yes. Um... So, I mean, there could be a lot of reasons why the the, um, the showrunner uh, posted a sort of a farewell on Twitter, mm-hmm. sort of, you know, thanking the cast and crew, thanking Cameron Cuff, you know, who plays Segal for mm-hmm. being like a total class act, apparently, and a really nice guy, a great sort of leader of the show. Um, thanking the fans who have embraced these new characters and, and sort of new versions of classic characters. So very classy, you know, letter. Mm-hmm. He's not like raging against the network. Um, he does seem to indicate, and this could just be his, I don't know if the network gave him a reason, he seems to strongly imply that it was budgetary, that the show is very expensive, mm, and yeah. Sci-Fi is a small niche network, and the ratings were not fantastic, so it just wasn't making enough money to justify its expenses. I see. Um, he also took the unusual tack of posting the first couple of pages of the story treatment for a proposed season three opener, like this is what this oh. is what would have happened, apparently it cuts to Earth, because of course... Right. I guess. Okay. Well, let's maybe we should hold that till we talk to talk yeah, about yeah. The, the episode later on. So anyway, I don't know. It seems kind of like he's he's um, resigned to the fact that it's not going to get picked up by another network. Although I guess if it does, and he's so what, he spoiled the first two minutes of the season premiere, right? Right. This can also be sort of a, a tactic that I've seen people take sometimes. You you tell the fans what they would have gotten if it had been renewed, and mm-hmm. that just stokes the fires more for like a fan campaign to get it picked up by another network because they're like, oh, we have to see that on screen, right? right so right. It, it could be kind of a clever thing on his part. Um, the initial uh, news of this also indicated that the Lobo spinoff mm-hmm. um, was dead, that it wasn't being pursued by sci-fi. Um, apparently, the producers are shopping it around to other networks. Mm-hmm. And the, there was just a tweet, again, from the producer today that indicated like, oh, don't count it out yet. Like, we've got news coming or something. So the Lobo thing might not be dead after all. Ooh. I mean, the first season of Krypton started streaming on DC Universe just before the second season premiered. I think that if anybody's going to pick up the show, then I think DC Universe. I mean, they just canceled Swamp Thing, so they're they're kind of they've got a hole in their live action slate, right? Yep. They've already got the cast and crew assembled, like it's yeah. ready made. You just mm-hmm. have to pump money into it and let them keep doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Very so very little, you know, right lead time on it. I think that that's the law. I think if it's going to get picked up anywhere. It's going to be DC Universe. I mm-hmm. think that uh, so maybe maybe we get a season three of Krypton. I think what's more likely is that we get the Lobo thing in some form. Um, Certainly the ending of this episode potentially left the door open for some of the Krypton characters to appear in a Lobo series if they want to treat it as a continuation, if they want to treat it as its own thing, and they just don't reference the Krypton stuff, and he's just off having wacky adventures every week. They could do that too, and maybe these characters show up later or they don't. I don't know. Um, It's too bad. I know that you've sort of run hot and cold on Krypton, but I think that, um, I I mean, you can tell that everybody making the show is, was you know, yeah, like they were, they were, their re- they were putting in their heart it. into the cast mm-hmm. was doing a great job. I know that you thought the writing at times could have used a little bit more something like a little bit more innovation or a little yes. bit more, like more, more ideas Dimensions. or something like that. But yeah. I think that, I mean, when you look at the, the, you know, the special effects, the acting, the set design, the That's production design. That's what I was design, telling like, you. I said it's Everybody looked like they were really cared about mm-hmm. the show. And I know for a fact that the stars were really passionate about it too and really I know. wanted to see it. And you can like, tell. This wasn't just another job for them. They're like, this is, I'm playing the grandfather of Superman. You know, yeah. like he really, he really took that, took to that heart. on, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which is, which is what, what you like you to want. see in these, yeah. in these kinds of things. So it's too bad because I, I would have liked to have seen where they were going with season three because it just seems like it's diverging more and more from the canon, which is, you know, what they were trying to do. It's not mm-hmm. like Gotham where they're like, oh, eventually it will line up with the canon. I think that we've abandoned, they've abandoned all pretense of that now. So it could have gone off in all sorts of crazy directions. And we'll talk about that when we actually talk about the finale and later on in the episode. But yeah, it's too bad. Um, there were renewed reports recently that Ewan McGregor might be signing on to reprise his role of Obi-Wan Kenobi for a Disney Plus live action series. This would presumably take the story that they were going to have for the pretty much all but confirmed now not happening, uh, you know, Obi-Wan, a Star Wars story or whatever they would have called it that got canned when they decided to stop doing the standalone movies. Oh, Um, There was going to be a Boba Fett one. Mm -hmm. There was going to be an Obi-Wan one. I mean, they as much as said it, everybody knew it was happening. And then, you know, Solo didn't do very well and they decided to just commit themselves to trilogies, you know, from here on out. Um, 
So it, it sounds like now we might get that same thing just made into a five or six episode miniseries on Disney+. Plus. Um, we're getting indications from the Marvel stuff, you know, WandaVision, Loki, that those are going to be like six to eight episodes mm-hmm. of hour-long episodes. Mm-hmm. So longer than a movie. But if they've shown anything with the caliber of of acting talent that they're bringing on to the Marvel stuff, everything from having Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen, Jeremy Renner, Tom Hiddleston, to getting all the actors back for voice roles and what if, like Disney Plus really wants people to both, you know, the people working on the shows and the people at home to not think of this as like some diluted version of the brand, you know, mm-hmm. like from the Marvel stuff to the Star Wars stuff. I think they wanted people to see this stuff as just as important as what you see in the theaters. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they're really trying to sell that with the Marvel stuff. And I think that if they get you and McGregor to play Obi-Wan Kenobi for a six episode series here, I think it'd be undeniable that they are, they want you to view these right alongside as just as essential as what you see in the movies. And you don't need to, you don't, you're not expecting this is not like going to see Avengers and then watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as much as we love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like there's, there's an obvious disparity there in terms of like how crucial they are to the mythology, yep. the, the, the amount of money being spent, the, the you know, like simply as doing a six episode series versus a 23 episode season mm-hmm. tells you like the amount of concentrated budget that is being injected into this, you know, mm-hmm. if only from a, from a budgetary perspective. So... It seems more and more likely that's going to happen. Probably be a couple of years out. I mean, even the Marvel stuff, some of the stuff that was announced months ago, like Falcon and Winter Soldier, is only going to start shooting soon and won't premiere until next year. So this Obi-Wan thing, if it happens, probably would be a 2021 premiere. Between now and then, we've got Mandalorian and then the the renewed, um, the return of Clone Wars. Yeah. And obviously more Resistance, which we'll talk about in a second. But but this would be... Oh, and I guess we already know about the Cassian Andor K2SO spinoff movie also. Awesome. But that kind of feels like that could be seen as like an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of thing. Take... take yeah, a char- absolutely. Take, you know, not a particularly... Espionage. Not a particularly, you know, beloved character from not a particularly beloved movie and give him his own show on TV. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Versus like take one of the most iconic Star Wars characters of all time. Yeah. And, and one of the... I guess we can't really say one of the most recognizable actors, but certainly a recognizable A-list Hollywood star. I yeah. mean, Diego Luna is great, but mm-hmm. Ewan McGregor is Ewan McGregor, and you put him on there, and it's like it instantly says everything you need to know about how seriously they're taking this. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be exciting if it happens. And along those lines, we got the trailer for the second season of Star Wars Resistance. We don't need to dig into the trailer in, in super detail, but I thought it was interesting and surprising that the trailer bills this as being the second and final season. I was expect. I mean, it kind of, it, it kind of makes sense given the premise right. that this is kind of bridging the gap between or leading up to the Force Awakens and then bridging the gap between the Force Awakens, the Last Jedi, and the Rise of Skywalker. But given that there's, if the rumors are to be believed, going to be a year story wise gap between the Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker, they could have told more stories in there. Like after, spoiler alert, people, Last Jedi was like two years ago, after Luke sacrifices himself and the Resistance is down to like twenty people on board the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. Resistance could have carried on past that and told the story of, you know, these guys meeting up with the larger resistance and helping to rebuild it. Kind of like how Rebels became a story about the ghost crew joining up with the larger rebellion and helping helping to found that, right? Right. But instead it looks like they're gonna kinda go right up to The Last Jedi, which given that Captain Phasma was in the trailers and she seemingly died in The Last Jedi, makes it seem like this season might only take place over the course of a few weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, the stuff in the trailer might just be from the first few episodes also. Maybe the mid-season, we'll see the events of The Last Jedi play out. Right, they may and then not the have the second half of the season will be, right. you know. I just, it remains to be seen. Are they going to do 26 episodes where, like in season one, we're like clear that we're getting closer and closer to the destruction of Hosnian Prime and then we don't, we finally don't get it till the last episode. Are they going to do something here until we're not quite at crate yet, we're not quite at crate yet, and then we get to crate, you know, and in mm-hmm. the final episode, maybe. But I, I'd be interesting to see because The Last Jedi, and The Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker comes out in December. Season two of Resistance is premiering in the fall. Presumably the first half of the season will, will air before The Rise of Skywalker, and the second half will air after. Mm-hmm. So all bets are off after The Rise of Skywalker premieres. They've got nothing left to keep under their hat anymore. So they can right. go hog wild in the second half of the season and have all sorts of characters show up that they're trying to keep secret until episode nine premieres. Yeah, there right? you go. So, so who knows? But it's sad to see it go after only two seasons. I, I mean, we know that we're getting more Clone Wars, like I said, but that's going to be on Disney+. Plus. Is there going to be no animated Star Wars on TV for the foreseeable future? Or is 
Dave Filoni. Remember, we talked about a year ago, but Dave Filoni getting a promotion from just being the showrunner of Star Wars Rebels and mm-hmm. the guy that helped set up Star Wars Resistance to like overseeing all Star Wars animation at Lucasfilm. But we're like, what else is there? There is no other Star Wars animation at Lucasfilm. Then the other shoe dropped and we found out we were getting more Clone Wars. Right. But that's seemingly just a limited run of, of you know eight or nine episodes or whatever. And again, then we still know of nothing beyond that. So it's presumably true. he's working on some new show. And of course, everybody's like, ooh, are they going to say what happened to Ezra and Thrawn and, you know, with yeah. Ahsoka and Sabine so going to fight? That's what everybody wants to see, yeah. right? Who knows? I think it'd be cool if they did like a, a, a two-hour two animated some, movie on yeah. Disney Plus that tells that story. I mean, that that might be too much to hope for. Um, yeah, but it's too bad to see it go. I think like Krypton, you know, it was it was a, not a perfect show, but I think that everybody involved in it really I cared about it. it. And it was still a lot of fun to watch. And and it's too bad to see. Yeah, it I go. thoroughly liked it, especially uh, in the later episodes where things really picked up, and I felt like they trusted their audience a little bit more because this is a show for children. But um, some of the things initially struck me as too mm, lowest common denominator. Does that make sense? Like it was too um, two dimensional, and I was like, okay, kids are smart; they can understand things a little m- more in depth than this, and. Um, but the show picked up towards the end and really warmed me over and um, or won, won me over. I should say warmed me over. No. Warmed over viewership is exactly yes, what we're looking right. for. Yes, that's right. I'm all toasty now. Um, yeah, but it won me over. No, but I mean, I, I like it. And like you, I'm sad to see it end after just two seasons. But at least they know ahead of time that this is their last season and um, they can plan for it and write. I think they. I think they knew thing. before. I think they, knew, I think they exactly. must have known from yeah. the beginning it was going to be a two-season limited thing. It's just right. So we're they, only it now has a purpose that out, in that so. case. Yeah, it has a purpose. I'm sure, and I'm sure the showrunners like may not have announced all of their plans, but this is exactly what they planned, and that's a different f- cry from that's a far cry from Krypton, which sort of just kind of abruptly ended. You know, yeah. and uh, it's different when it ends on your terms versus somebody else's. So I look forward to seeing what they've got under their hats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's it for our news. Yep. What was your comic of the week? This week I picked Hawkman number something. 15. 15, thank you. Um, short version is that it's Shade teams up with Hawkman to fight Shadow Man. Or is it the other Shadow one? Shadow Thief. <laughs> Shadow Thief. Shadow Man. Wrong one. Shady Man versus the Shadow. What? What? <laughs> and the Shadow shows Shabadoo up. Where does The Shadow shows up. The sh- right, the Shadow teamed up with Batman. Right. From that run, that was awesome. It was like, it was a good comic. Um, no, but hmm, short story, I just really like the art. That That's what really drew me to pick this co- as my comic really? of the week. Mm-hmm. The the way everything was portrayed, the the flowy, shadowy lines of, of, I don't know, it was just, the fighting was different because it was on the shadow realm of existence and so to represent that in art is really tough to do i like the way the lines moved i like the way it was creepy and obvious i like the panel layout where you see most specifically the moment where um shade realizes that katar hall doesn't have a shadow that is laid out in um in such nice gridded detail where you see him trying to hand a book and the shadow is handing him a book but there's no shadow uh, on the bed to indicate that um, Katar is taking the book. And so it's like that moment where you can put it together before the character says it. I always like those types of moments when you have just a split second um, lead on the characters that you're reading about. It's always very satisfying when that happens. And um, I'm just really enjoying the adventure, so I'm I'm curious to see what happens next because now both of them are in the same boat. Do do do. So, we'll see. Yeah, the shades. The shades a great character. Of course, he's a golden age Flash villain going back over seventy five years at this point. Was original member of the Injustice Society of the world that fought the Justice Society back in the nineteen forties. You've seen him on a couple of different cartoons at this point. The um, shade or the shade or shadow thief. No, the shade. The shade was a, was a villain. For, really? Well, that's what I'm trying to understand. I like, remember he was, he was on he was on Justice League also. I he had the top hat and the cane. I remember the shadows. That. Um, then James Robinson did his classic Starman series, which is one of the best DC series of the past thirty years. And gradually over the course of that series, sort of Reformed turned him, him. from villain to anti-hero to sort of reluctant hero, and you really came to understand a lot about him. He was really like 
I, some people would say by the end he was like the star of that series. He was he was like the, certainly the breakout most popular character, and then Robinson followed that up with a twelve issue Shade series, and he's been really popular. And he's he hasn't just hasn't shown up much since then because that series, much like Neil Gaiman's Sandman, when it ended, it ended so definitively that everybody mm-hmm. else was kind of like, let's not touch those characters because he he ended it in such so a perfect well, place. Yeah. So Jack Knight literally, the Jack Knight Starman literally hasn't appeared in like 15 years because James Robinson gave him, gave him such a good ending that they're like, we can't, we can't, we're, touch we're, we can't bring him out of you know, retirement. He's got, he's had the perfect ending. Where Shade was still kind of like on the shelf, like you could still do stuff with mm-hmm. him because he's still hanging around Opal City. Um, yeah, but he's he's a great character, and so it's fun to see him again here. And of course, it makes sense that he would have run into. Of course, even though it's like. Nobody remembers the Justice Society yet. It still kind of makes sense that he would have had run-ins with Hawkman over the years because of his multiple lives. You know, mm-hmm. if he didn't fight against the Justice Society in the '40s, he still could have easily run into him in any of the intervening decades. Um, so that was fun. I'm, I'm, I was a little surprised to hear your you commenting on the art because I like Pat Olaf. I, I I probably liked his style more. 25 years ago, when he was doing some Spider-Man comics with Kurt Busiek, who did. Marvels and a bunch of other stuff. Um, he did a really fun Spider-Man series for for Marvel, and he's done other stuff here and there. Hasn't done a lot of DC stuff. I don't think I've seen him do anything in maybe ten years. I don't. I mean, I'm sure he's been doing something, but I haven't seen him do any work. But his, his stuff is very. I don't want to say plain, but especially ink. Who inked it here? Was it Tom Palmer? I know you can't. Rem- I know you're not going to remember it. I'm just yeah. trying to remember myself. But at this particular, maybe it, maybe it's the way his style has evolved, or maybe it's the ink what the inker did with his stuff here, but it came across like even like scratchier and looser than it normally does. Normally I think his stuff benefits from being a bit more smooth and fleshed out. So it's not my favorite of his, of the styles that I've seen him do. Maybe it's just the way he's evolved as an artist. Um, but I, I thought the art was good and he definitely has, he's definitely a veteran artist and has a very clear sense of storytelling, but mm-hmm. just in terms of the, you know, how lush the art is or whether you're like, man, that's that's a beautiful, aside from how well it's composed and how well the storytelling is, that's just a beautiful illustration. Mm-hmm. I don't get that from his stuff very much. So I'm, I'm it's interesting to hear you say that because I feel like sometimes you, I feel like our tastes are often similar in, in art a lot of times where we respond to very striking styles, be they, you know, the Alex Ross, like as photorealistic as you can get yeah. or the more Bruce Tim Darwin Cook, very streamlined but clean style. And, but... You know, I feel like our tastes are usually similar, so I'm a little surprised to hear you say that. But I, I do like his stuff generally, but this wasn't necessarily my... I wasn't drawn to this because of the art. I it guess, was more the writing. I think I like... Yeah, I like I like both hand in hand, and it's just the way that the art represented what the story was doing. Because, I mean, obviously, if, um, if the writer hadn't put those fights together or put that the concept of the panic room together i remember that one it was another one of my favorites when they're sitting in that white room but you can kind of tell it it's a white room it doesn't feel like oh it's just two characters on a pure white page it felt like they were actually standing in a room and i don't know how the artist did that and then when the panic room idea failed because one of them spoke and made a shadow in his own mouth and that was enough to um, create a weak point like that's excellent writing what a concept and to have that then represented in the um uh, in the in the art and the the way that fight unfolds that was really cool to me as well so both of them working hand in hand but yeah that's why i picked it yep so i picked uh, the signs coming through in the recording <laughs> yeah whoops sorry guys um i picked event leviathan <laughs> finish number- the show without me sorry i, I picked event <laughs> leviathan number three Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really enjoying the series. It is. Yeah, it's, that was a good one. It's moving a little slowly, but mm-hmm. I mean, this just Bendis has this sort of decompressed style where you could say the same for his, his stuff on the Superman books. Generally speaking, is that it, it can move a little slowly, but there's always a lot of great character moments and great dialogue exactly. in there. My favorite parts of the, in this one were the Red Hood stuff because I feel like we've seen yeah. we've seen Batman, Plastic Man, Green Arrow, Lois Lane question. There's been plenty of scenes all, already in the first two issues of them talking about who they think Leviathan is. Right. But my favorite scenes in this issue were that everybody going after Jason Todd and particularly the great conversation between Lois and Jason yes, Todd that was about a, I was gonna say. where he's he's like he's not really like I don't know because he likes to screw with people too, but he, he's not he's not not saying he's Leviathan. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't think he's going to end up being Leviathan, no. and so I don't know why he doesn't just deny it. Probably because he knows they wouldn't really believe him anyway. But yes. he's kind of like he's having a little bit. He's like, well, hypothetically, if I were Leviathan, this is what I you know what I mean. Like yeah. he's just he's, he's he can't help but just mess with people, even though it's really detrimental. Like he should really deny it vociferously right. and provide like 
<laughs> notarized alibis yeah. for, but he's like he's not going to do that because he knows if they because he he, he, he knows, knows he knows that if Batman has got it in his head that he can't be trusted anymore for the umpteenth time yeah. that there's nothing he can say or do to change his mind he's exactly. got to either prove his innocence or just let Batman come to that conclusion on his own you know yeah. he can't yeah. You know, there's too much water under the bridge for them. So I, I like that scene and, and him and Lois having that conversation. And, and that was and, great because Lois was really digging. This is this is a good highlighting conversation for her as well, because this is what makes her an excellent reporter. Like she might even have her own opinions formed and she might be pursuing a line of thought, which any good reporter will want to write that for their story. Right. Like you get a story into your head and then you try to write about it. And only if you get debunked. Do you sway your way of thinking and then pursue other avenues of questioning? But she is so dogged in her questioning, but also really fair in how she receives his answers. I, I just really dug that about their conversation that you, she, she had witty retorts, but also really insightful follow ups. And that's that's cool. That's nice. Somebody knows their stuff when they're writing her. Yeah. So. Yep. So that's it for comics. Yeah. So because we just finished watching Avengers Endgame. Oh, boy. On, and I ranked everything, too. Di- yes, on digital. Mm-hmm. I thought I would quiz you about uh, characters in the MCU and the movies they appeared in. <laughs> okay? No. So I am going to name a character, and then okay. I'm going to give you four movies. And you need, to t- need, I, you need to tell me which of these movies that character did not appear in. Okay. Okay? That's fair. All right, number cool. one, Coulson. So which of these movies did Coulson not appear in? All right? All right. Iron Man 2, Thor... Captain America or the Avengers? Captain America. Correct. Yes. Yeah, you can picture what he did in those other movies? Yes, right. exactly. That's what All I right. did. Sorry about that moment of silence. Number there. two, Nick yep. Fury. Okay. okay. Thor, Avengers Age of Ultron, Captain America Civil War, or Avengers Infinity War? Infinity War. No, he did appear in Infinity War. In the post credit scene where he and Maria Hill... Oh, that's not fair. It's not the way. Oh, right. Well, if you're not going to include post credit scenes, that's that's half, of, that's half of why people watch these movies. No, he did not appear in Civil War, to Samuel L. Jackson's dismay, because he's like, wouldn't it have made sense for me to have something to say about, about what's going on right now? Civil War? He did not appear in Civil War. Huh. Well, Would have made sense if he did. No, Not really yeah. any reason why he didn't, but he wasn't yeah. there. All right, number three. Uh-huh. War Machine. Okay. Iron Man 3, The Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, or Captain America Civil War? Now, this is a complicated question. It's this really is... not. No, 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 it is. Because War Machine. All right. The character? James or Rhodes. Each... Okay, thank you. <laughs> yes, no, thank you. Okay, so what were those movies again? Iron Man 3, okay. The Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, or Captain America Civil War? Um, card. Uh, um, what was the second one you said? <laughs> the Avengers. That's the one. Yes, he did not appear in the Avengers. Yep. All right, number four. Okay. Bruce Banner. Okay. The Avengers, Iron Man 3, Thor The Dark World, or Avengers Age of Ultron? Um... What were those movies again? <laughs> the Avengers, uh-huh. Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3. Thor The Dark World, or Avengers Age of Ultron. Iron Man 3. He did, so what was his what role did he play in Thor The Dark World? What are you talking about? He, w- he was fighting Thor. No, that's Thor Ragnarok. Thor The Dark World was the one with the dark elves. Oh, yeah. no, The he one that nobody there. likes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, sadly, I no. He was a, he was in Iron Man three. He was in the post credit scene. We see that he was he was Tony was uh, narr- narrating Eye the roll. movie to him. Do you remember? Roll. I'm really not that kind of doctor. <laughs> That's right? so funny. Yeah, I remember. All right, number five, uh-huh. General Thunderbolt Ross. Well, that was technically yeah. That was all right. All right, please go ahead. Yes, General Thunderbolt Ross. Mm-hmm. Okay, The Incredible Hulk, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, Captain America: Civil War, or Avengers: Endgame. I don't remember seeing him in Endgame. So is that your answer? Can I see the options again? <laughs> the Incredible Hulk, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War, 
or Avengers Endgame? Well, he's definitely in Civil War. The other Captain America that you listed, Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. I don't remember seeing him that either. But I really don't remember him in Endgame. Yeah, I'm going to say Endgame. No, he was in Endgame. I don't remember. He was at the funeral at the end. Oh, come on! But that counts. You can't tell me that doesn't count. All right. Number six. All right. Captain America. All right? All right. Iron Man 2, Thor the Dark World, Ant-Man, or Captain Marvel? This is a tricky one. You need those again? Yeah, please. So which of these movies did Captain America not appear in? Iron Man 2... Thor the Dark World. Okay, are we saying Loki as Captain America? Because he was in that. Fair enough. Which of these movies did Chris Evans not appear? Iron Man 2, Thor the Dark World. No, I wouldn't be that. I wouldn't be that evil. Okay. I'd be almost that evil, but not quite that evil. Iron Man 2, Thor the Dark World, Ant-Man, or Captain Marvel? No, he didn't appear in Ant-Man. He was referenced in Ant-Man. What? Hi. Is that your answer? Yeah, Ant-Man. That is incorrect. Why? He was in the post credit scene of Ant-Man. Come on! Well, he was. He was also in the post credit scene of, uh, of uh, Captain Marvel. Well, that one I know. But he was not an Iron Man 2. He was not an Iron Man 2? No, because that came out before Captain America. Oh, right. That was the, the one with the whiplash. Se- the post credit yeah. scene of Ant-Man was uh, him and Sam with Bucky with his arm in a vice saying, who right. knows if the Accords would let Tony help us right. and Sam saying, I know See, I, I couldn't remember because I knew you were going for the post credit sequences on this one and I just couldn't Not all remember. of them. He's right in the middle of Thor the Dark World no, but I th- for about I five seconds. Honey, I couldn't remember the post credit yeah, sequence on fine. Iron Man, so... Iron Man 2? Yeah, Iron Man 2. No, because his first appearance was in Captain America. They didn't like they didn't Hawkeye him and have him show up for five seconds in someone else's movie. And Iron right. Man 2 was the third movie. It was Iron Man, Hulk, and then Iron Man Right. Two. See, and so I, forgot, before, I forgot the order. And then Thor, then Captain America. Right. Okay. All right, number seven. Mm-hmm. Thanos. The Avengers, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Age of Ultron, or Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Processing, processing. I can't remember the post-credit sequences on those either. They're not all necessarily post-credit sequences. No, 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 they are. (laughs) For me, the last couple of questions have been post-credit sequence heavy, but the majority of the questions haven't been that. Well, I can't remember. Okay, some of these are post-credit sequences. I'll I'll grant you that. Guardians of the Galaxy, what? Definitely had Thanos. He was in in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, But Guardians Volume Two. Was he in the Avengers? Was Ego, huh? Was he in the Avengers? As a post-credit. Right. Was he in Avengers 2? Electric Boogaloo? I don't remember what Avengers 2 was. <laughs> that was the one with um, Ultron. It's That's why it's called Age of Ultron. <coughs> I don't remember, to be honest. Um, I thought, because there's another one where he's stuffing his hand into a glove and saying, hey, fine. He does do that know. a lot. I'll I know, you that. really. And says, you know, fine, I'll have to do it myself. But I can't remember what that's a post-credit sequence to. If it's in... um... (coughs) All right, just take a stab at it. I don't remember. What's Uh, your guess then? Avengers. So your guess is Age of Ultron. That is not correct. Oh. That was the post-credit scene where he says, fine, I'll do it myself. Fine. Picks up the gauntlet. He was not in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't remember because that was Ego the Planet, but I couldn't remember which one was had that post-credit sequence, so I took the wrong guess. Yes, you did. Yeah. All right, number eight, uh, last question. I knew exactly which post-credit sequence you were talking about, too. I just couldn't pin it on the right donkey. All right, number eight. Okay. Scarlet Witch. Hmm. Captain America the Winter Soldier, Avengers Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, or Captain America Civil War? All right, wait, Winter Soldier, too fast, too fast. <laughs> I'm only at Winter Avengers Soldier. the Winter Soldier, Captain America, Age of Ultron, Ant-Man Volume 2. What's, hand? Guardi- What's happening? Or Guardians of the Galaxy, The Dark World. Hey, man, this alphabet soup is what I live in every day. That's what dyslexia is like. Um, <laughs> let's see. What are you saying? What's happening? Scar- Where Scar- are we? Scarlet Witch. What are we doing? Captain America, The Winter Soldier, uh-huh. Avengers, Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, or Captain America, Civil War. Can I just read the titles? I'm not yes. good at with the auditory. Yes, you could Okay, okay. 
This will be very exciting for the listeners. I know. Um, all right. So Winter Soldier. I don't remember if she's in that because she doesn't appear. Oh, wait. Post credits. Yes. Um, she's there. Okay. So Avengers Age of Ultron. Yeah, definitely. Obviously. Uh, Ant-Man? No, she's not in Ant-Man, but is she in post credits? <laughs> and then Civil War. Yeah, she's clearly in that. Okay, so it's Ant-Man. Yes, it's Ant-Man. Awesome. So you got, I don't even know. You got I think most it was like of it. Five or six. Five, yeah. five or six. That's pretty good. I'll take it. <laughs> I breathe a sigh <laughs> of relief. That took a lot out I of was you. really, <laughs> I need to lie down. <laughs> All right. So we have Young Justice and Krypton. The final yes. couple of episodes of Krypton. Yeah. So this Young Justice episode, this one's called Antisocial Pathologies. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what were the plots here? So Nightwing is fighting off the effects of the X-Pit. Yep. Black Lightning deduces that Batman has got his secret cabal. Yep. Um, meanwhile, what's the, what's the, I feel like I'm forgetting the, the main. Metron. N- Metron. No, that was several episodes ago. Oh, right. Try to think what, what the main, I'm completely blanking on the main. Uh, plot? The main plot of the. Um, Tara continues her subterfuge. Well, I, oh, no, I know what it was. Um, they take, um, it's the one we find out, like there's like a 10-minute f- sequence where Dr. Jace is yeah. forced by Granny to reveal her entire backstory and X-Pit. how messed up she is. Yeah. Yep. Um, right, but I kept thinking of the heroes weren't there. No, the heroes really weren't. I mean, a couple of them were, but they were prisoners. Right, Right. exactly. Um, Brion and Tara had been had the little mind control things on their on their back. And but Halo luckily, had, I say quote in air quotes, luckily Tara had her... Um, uh, herself prepared by Deathstroke, who gave her an anti mind control chip. That's very whatever. fortuitous. Yeah, how very, very lucky and unplanned um, at all by the light. And um, so she was able to break them out, as it were. But but are they so are they in cahoots though? Because Deathstroke used to work for the light. He's not their enforcer anymore. Lady Shiva is. But Deathstroke was working with the League of Shadows, which is Rachel Ghoul's organization. But he said that he's not a part of the League of Shadows or the Light anymore. Rachel Ghoul did, right? When he appeared. Right. So I'm trying to figure out if Deathstroke is still affiliated with. Have we had any indication that Deathstroke is still affiliated with the Light? In which case, yes. still? Absolutely. He was reporting to Vandal Savage at the end of the post credit sequence, as it were. He was reporting to Vandal Savage? Yeah. That, that was, was him that said that Terra is exactly where he was. That. Uh, Terra is exactly where uh, she's meant to that be. Was an ultra humanite that was because the ultra humanite was the one that was along for the ride in the X. Ultra humanite was asking questions about Halo, but I thought it mm. was Deathstroke that said. I could be. I don't remember, but if so, that it would kind of make sense because we know that the light is kind of in an uneasy alliance with Darkseid, but is clearly looking for any opportunity they can have to, to gain an advantage. They made it abundantly clear that Terra and Brion's escape was orchestrated 100%, that they left without Halo as planned. Who left without Halo? That the two of them escaped harm and right. went back to their respective, back to their team, um, but that... Um, but that Halo had to be left behind, and so they failed in their mission, but they escaped themselves. Um, right, because they didn't want to leave Halo But that was by Because design. at the end, the, the light was like, like we, yeah. we, don't, we don't like the fact that they have access to this thing they call the anti-life equation now yeah. that could be bad for everybody, right? Yep. Because they see themselves as being the true protectors of the planet Earth and, you know, ensuring their proper evolution and their proper place on the galactic well, it, stage ultimately, whereas Darkseid just wants to turn into another charnel pit so exactly but that's exactly the point right it's culminating to this war between Vandal Savage and um, Darkseid that's where yeah, it was always I guess, headed I guess so I mean that's definitely I mean if you consider the I, I've heard people say it like on the on the Whelmed podcast that the, that one episode that was basically Vandal Savage's life story that that's like the right. Rosetta Stone for the entire series like yeah. you can watch that and it makes the entire series basically make sense and to recast the series you're right it's kind of like this millennia spanning yeah. bromance slash you know rivalry between Darkseid and Vandal Savage and when you see the opening I hadn't really thought of it in, that, in the terms that like when you see like Earth Apocalypse mm-hmm. in the opening credits I'm like oh Apocalypse is going to invade and all the heroes are going to have to fight it off but you're right what if basically this this war erupts between two factions of bad guys basically mm-hmm. And the heroes have no idea. I mean, now they're gradually getting more of an idea of like the stakes that are operating, that they're having to operate at here. Right. But what if 
the heroes and all of Earth kind of gets caught in the middle in this war between the light and dark side. We're not talking about like Justice League versus Apocalypse. We're talking about the villains versus Apocalypse, basically. And our right. guys are just trying to, you know, staunch the bleeding. Um, yeah, that could be interesting. I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. It was a good episode, though. I mean, I felt like the the, the confession from Dr. Jace went on a little long. Mm. And it was maybe a little over the top. Like, yeah, she's just as screwed up and, and you know... I, I and twisted I mean, as you thought she would be you know yeah. she's like oh because i because I, they were reborn through my tar they're my children and right. i had to protect them and everything else i did like all the other lives i've ruined and the way that i manipulated them was all to you know right. and halo's In not really dying she was yeah. just trying to you know she's what i mean not one of mine yeah, yeah. it's really messed it's, up yeah because even even i was even seeing some people say well the ultra humanite even after last episode when we discovered that her mentor was the ultra humanite some people were saying well he hasn't been in an evil giant ape body forever he was just like a scientist before that who had his brain transferred into that giant ape body so maybe she doesn't know that he's an evil ape supervillain and she still thinks like she hasn't seen him in in 10 years right she might think that she's still in contact with her her human mentor who's maybe a little wacky but mm. isn't necessarily a giant albino gorilla right but yeah. then we learned in this episode no she knew exactly what she was i mean they right. were using her but right, right. she basically knew what she was doing the whole way she wasn't being deceived in terms of like who right. she was getting into bed with Yep. Um, in so fact, she was deceiving the people she exactly. was getting into bed with. Exactly. I, was I thought that say. it was a really strong episode for Black Lightning, too. Yes. The, fact that I, the fact that he put... I, to me, it was like a little... It felt like a bit of a jump. Because mm. he's like, oh, the whole Bat family is here. Therefore, they're all secretly working together, even though they pretended to be at odds. Like, I'm not sure you can... Nest, like, I get that, that there were enough breadcrumbs that you could possibly put it together. Right. But he's not, like, master detective. Right. Like, if Batman, right, or Tim or Oracle or... Martian Manhunter or something, you'd put that together. That'd be one or the thing. The question but, or Mr. Terrific. Yeah, or, but yeah. I'm not sure. I'd, like he, he's a super smart guy, but he's not. You know, he's not a detective. So I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I bought that the information that that we'd seen him being provided with was necessarily enough for him to draw those conclusions. But it was a very effective scene. Seeing the others trying to. It was a great scene where Barbara comes out and she's talking to Bruce. She's like, you know, he's not wrong. You have been treating us all like these. Yeah. You know. And I always, I, I think they've got a really good, I mean, obviously Bruce, Green, Bruce Greenwood is great, but I think they've got a really good version. Like, he's definitely a more human version of Batman hmm. than a lot of others. Like, even in the first couple of seasons where we see how he how he is around Dick and then, you know, how he is, like, he's, he's when Superman, right? When Superman wouldn't even acknowledge that Superboy, he didn't even want anything to do with Superboy. Bruce was the one that sat him down and says, you you need to talk to him. You know, he's basically your son. And you need to talk to him. Right. right? Like he's, he's a lot more of a humane version of Bruce Wayne than we've seen. But he is still, he does still have that thing. And one of the, th- one of the things the series has always been great at, even going back to season one, where there was that great scene where, where um, Dick was in, in the therapy session with Black Canary and he broke down. He's like, I don't want to be Batman, right? And then we've right. seen, of course, he's, he's not. Like, he's, that's what Nightwing is. That's why that role is great for him is because he gets to take the best of that and make it his own thing. But one of the things that the series has been great at is sort of contrasting the two of them. Yes. And, you know, it's not like, well, he is, Bruce is kind of a jerk, but <laughs> he doesn't really mean to be, you know what I mean? Some of the time, like, he doesn't. He doesn't I don't do. Think he cares. He that doesn't he do is. things to be a jerk. He just doesn't necessarily care if he's being yeah. a jerk in order to get the results he wants. Yeah. But he does. They have two different. One of the things I've always liked about the comics is the differences in their leadership styles. Mm-hmm. Like he, Batman is not a leader. He's a general. He's a strategist. Like mm-hmm. he's a chess master. He'll move the pieces around without really giving much thought to their free will or what they might want, even if they're his friends. But Dick doesn't. Is not a general. He's. He's a leader. He's like everybody's big brother. And so he, and sometimes to his detriment, there have been a lot of great stories where he would have been better for him to lead more like Batman because he gets too personally involved with his team and he can't make the hard choices anymore. And there's been so many great stories about that. And so I like that they're kind of, they're exploring that here is that the, the differences between their leadership styles and Batman's leadership style is bristling people like Jefferson, you know, whereas clearly he has, he was, he and Nightwing have been working together very well, but now it's like, he, is he on the outs with everybody and who's he going to turn to? And I don't know, I think, I think all that stuff is really interesting. And even though we've gotten so little Batman this season though, he's only been in yeah. two or three episodes mm-hmm. in relatively minor roles. You know, there was the premiere where they had that dramatic scene where he walks out, except then we learned, you know, not really. Um, and then, and yeah. a couple of others, but you know, mostly it's the secret meetings of his little cabal in the Batcave there. But Yeah. That's a really good episode. So we only have, I think, five left, four or five left this yeah. season. So and they're coming to a head pretty quickly, right? Yeah, I don't know. Like it's things are definitely accelerating. We could get an all-out 
conflict. Yeah, I mean, I, I was really season. surprised. You know what really sticks in my craw? Why are there two granny goodnesses? I don't know, but it's not like they. It's, it's not like that's an animation error. Like clearly, this no, is no, that was there. deliberate. Yeah. I mean, it could just be like apocalypse technology, like they create like a, a duplicate or like it's know. a hologram or whatever. Like, I don't know. There's not necessarily a really super interesting story there. It could just be an explanation for like we saw Superman and his team run into her in space in the orphanage. Right. Mm-hmm, and we mm-hmm. know she's back on Earth. I just assumed she was booming back and forth. But this could just be some apocalypse way exactly. of having her. Like there's not necessarily a super exciting story there. Um, so Krypton, final mm-hmm. two episodes of Krypton. Um, these were good. I, th- I think if I, I had a if I had a complaint about the final episode, it would be that. And I understand, like I understand all the ways that it was set up and all the ways that it makes sense. But despite all of that, it still seemed in the moment a little too easy that that Seg and um, Lyda could just like walk up to the gates, basically like come on out, Zod. And yeah. Zod comes out and like, okay, now we're gonna fight. And it's like whoever wins, you know what I mean? Yeah. After everything that been built up, it's like he comes right out and fights him. They punch each yeah, other. Yeah, surrounded by like three people. That's. I mean, well, yeah. that's just budget, right? You can't have a crowd of of thousands. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the fact that he didn't really have a very strong army leading him out there, like the Secret Service. Oh, the Zod only had like yeah, two yeah, guys. Well, well they had thing, the yeah. dialogue where, oh, he sent all of his soldiers off to yeah, fight. That's pretty uh, good by the <laughs> the tavern there and the and the Outlands. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I get it. It's like the reason why the, they explained why he didn't have very many forces there. It makes sense that these two people above anyone that he would want to come out and face personally. And, of course, their plan makes sense. They need to, they need to, um, you know, reveal him in front of the people, right, as yeah. a fraud and a sadist and a power-mad despot and all this stuff. And then show that he can be beaten, you know, to get the people to rise up and side with them. Like, it all makes sense intellectually. It's just in the moment, it seems like I felt like you needed another scene there, maybe where he's sitting in his comfy office, but he sees them on his, like, security monitors, and they goad him somehow into coming out. Like, I felt like you need another scene there where it's like he knows it's not smart for him to go out there, but they they trick him somehow or they yeah. just convince him because in his rage, mm-hmm. you know? But instead, they, they show up, and then two seconds later, he walks out. Like, was he already on his way there? How short of a walk is that? Like, it just <laughs> it seemed like you needed more in there. Yeah. So pacing-wise, that felt a little odd to me. But but everything that happens, like, I, I guess we didn't even talk about, because we haven't recorded since we watched the episode prior, where um, Kem sacrifices himself. Yeah. Um, the goodbye scene between him and Seg was really affecting. Mm-hmm. We talked at the, at the time, though, about the scene of his actual death. Felt mm-hmm. like they were maybe trying to be too a little much. too artsy yeah. with it, with mm-hmm. the weird camera angles and the, just how protracted, protracted it was sequence, with Doomsday killing yeah. him and everything. And I don't think it needed to be, like, I don't mind when the show gets a little graphic because it is on cable, but I didn't think you needed that. Like, I think it would have been more effective if you just let the the sadness from his goodbye to Seg linger as he sort of walks back into the cavern. Mm-hmm. And maybe you see Doomsday you know, running towards him from the distance or you just hear him coming, like the pounding of his footsteps is getting closer and he picks up the trigger and closes his eyes and presses the button or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need the whole, you yeah, know, the whole, the whole thing where he gives him there. the finger and then he's like gutted and then his head is ripped off. I didn't think you needed all that. You That's know what? Gratuitous. Yeah, it did. It did feel a little gratuitous. I mean, I think another, maybe like a quick sequence would have been like if he were, you know, muddied up and covered in blood and looking around at his, as compatriots. Like this is how I would have done it since... Um, just a quicker, a, a much, much quicker way to get to the actual trigger. And then he turns around and Doomsday is there. I think it would have been more satisfying if he went, nope, and just pressed the button right there. That- right after the initial cave-in? But then you lose the scene of him, the goodbye scene between him and Seg, which I think No, 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 need. no, 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 you're missing it. The goodbye scene takes place, everything else, except instead of your rendition, I'm just fan writing here instead of what you just said where you see um where you where you see doomsday running towards him in somewhere off in the distance like my substitution would be you get a very quick moment where he picks up the trigger like ken picks up the trigger and then turns around and doomsday is there but he goes nope and he just um, yeah but even even that i think that's a a ken way to go even that seems like a little like that's in character but i don't know it's a little I don't feel like you wanted something. It, it felt a little too cutesy. Either like, way, oh, it was he, just, you know, yeah. he's, a, he's a roguish guy, so he's going to give him the finger or he's yeah. going to say nope or whatever. Like, I think it would have been, like, you don't you don't need to undercut it with humor. No, you I don't think so. You can just play the pathos. You don't have sometimes. to. You don't have to, but I mean, oh, that actor, can we just talk about the performance of that, of that Kem person? He's... <laughs> <laughs> he's really, really good. Yeah, he was like, really good. Every time that he, he was, was on screen, breakout, he was really one of the people. Of the, of the yeah. show. He was he was em- he was hilarious, empathetic. He could deliver a line sadly and 
funnily at the same time. I feel like the writers had a lot more fun writing the banter between him and Adam than they did writing pretty much any other relationship, except maybe Seg and Adam. Uh, I think Seg and Kim. Uh, but I think Hilarious. Seg and Kim too. Yeah. yeah, but I feel like the writers really enjoyed writing it because you Kim. get to, you just, I, they I, just really I get the sense like in season one that he was maybe not supposed to be like a necessarily a character that would stick around for very long. Right. Um, I was surprised actually when he came back in season two because I thought we'd seen a lot. I thought you know he's, yeah. he seems like a, he's got one season character written all over him. Right. Uh, but I think the writers just just enjoyed writing for him so much that they they brought him back because the actor is really tremendous. I'm telling you, like he was delivering really three dimensional performances every single time. It was just, it's almost as if like. I don't know, he just breathed some life into some otherwise flat words, you know. I really enjoyed his performances and all the way up to the end. And I think that's why they wanted to give him a satisfying chem ending. But for my money and apparently for yours as well, like, it was too long. It was too protracted at the end. It was sort of like, um, what do you call it, Resident Evil in parts and then, you know, um, Blair Witch Well, there was even a scene that was like first person of him... Like yeah, a, almost as like if he was, was framed, ho- like a first had a GoPro shooter. on his gun. Like there was yeah. a scene in the the Doom movie that was like that, where they exactly. made it look like the first exactly. perspective of a first person shooter. I'm like, is this is this Doom? Like, what yeah, are we doing? Exactly. And then um, the person that jumps out that they're only half dead, and like, yeah, that was it was unnecessary. It was long, and this is this is my gripe, my one and only gripe with the uh, with the show is that sometimes the writing does that. Like for all of the beautiful set pieces and. Um, performances by the actors who are really talented and dedicated and for all the the money they throw at the production value um, the sets the the special effects um, the costumes just really everything they have the recipe there and then for all of that sometimes the writing doesn't support that infrastructure and this is exactly what what I'm talking about like that was a very unnecessary five minutes of extra time that didn't need to be there to elicit extra emotion like we got all, all the emotion that we needed between the conversation between Seg and Kim yep Nissa got a lot of stuff to do yeah it was good of, she got that badass fight scene where it was like that all slow motion awesome. zooming like three there's something out of 300 or something that's what I was about to say um, yeah and then she got a great scene in the finale where she took I mean one could say it's more than a little foolhardy but I think it's mm-hmm. definitely in character uh, she takes his Zeta beam and she transports to, I guess, what we assume is Ran. I mean, certainly that's where she was trying to go. Um, then we see a bunch of Ranians that have been immolate, immolated seemingly by parademons and because there's an Omega symbol on the painted in blood or something on, on one of the cliff sides there. Yeah, that felt a little strange. Like in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the beach, in the middle of a cave... Some one wall has an omega. Well, they're probably everywhere. I mean, if the blood? parademons are swarming all over the planet, they'd be they'd be burning people up and painting that symbol all over the planet. Yeah, but it was incredibly neat and very like thin. Well, they've I got just, good I penmanship. Know. I mean, yeah, I think so. I Dark mean, side expects nothing perfection. but nothing less than perfection. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess they were going to do Dark Side in the next season. I mean, that seems that seems crazy. But I mean, I guess if you can do Dark Side in Smallville, you can do Dark Side on Krypton. Um, <laughs> So what what they were the the thing that I mentioned earlier, like the little uh, teaser for the for season three was going to be. So at the end of this, Brainiac is heading towards Earth with Baby Jor El, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. so season three is going to open on Earth in a small town in Russia. Okay. And we see a young boy with glasses, very Clark Kentish, okay, um, being bullied, mm-hmm. and he's having to like restrain himself, you know, restraining himself from fighting back against this bully, right? And we're like, oh. This is the this you know yeah, even though this Clark is Russia Kent. they're doing like a Clark Kent kind of thing right mm-hmm. like is this Jor-El like is Jor-El being raised now on Earth like his yeah. in Russia or something like that and then what happens is the bully then lasers shoot out of his eyes and, and burn the kid I'm probably getting some of this wrong because I just glanced at this they burn the kid and and then the bully goes home and what we see is that we see Blake Ritson who's the actor that plays Brainiac but without any of his Brainiac makeup comes mm-hmm. out and says to the boy who he calls son. Like oh son, you know they they he was weak anyway. Like this is what I raised you for, and the, and like he because he the the boy who we now learn is Jor El, who's mm-hmm. now like ten twelve years old or something like that, was doubting himself. Like oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. Like he was a human being, and Brainiac is like no, like this the the strong must survive and the weak must be eliminated or whatever. Wow. And the boy's like you're right, and he hugs him and says I love you, Dad. So now we see that for whatever reason, like obviously they would explain all of this, they'd backfill the information. Yeah. But the shock beginning was going to be Brainiac is now appearing human and has raised Jor-El on Earth for seemingly over a decade for some purpose. Mm-hmm. And this was, this was going to be the shock opening to, to season three. I don't know why 
he would have done that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't necessarily seem like something that Brainiac, Brainiac as we know, would do. Would do. Yeah. I can kind of buy him because he's all about preserving knowledge and, and knowledge specifically, not like, you know, dogs. But knowledge, well, I guess he does preserve dogs because he shrinks down the city. Sure, but I was about to say. I mean, he's not above taking, I guess what I'm saying is he's not above taking biological hydrants. samples as a means of preserving what he sees as like the distillation of a society. Right. So if, he's, if, he's, if, it, if, he, if he feels like it's been proven to him that the, the bloodline of the elves is like the epitome of Kryptonian culture, mm-hmm. then I can buy him taking a Kryptonian baby, raising it as like his own son even if he doesn't actually love the kid, but is just like in his computer way pretending yeah. to do it mm-hmm. as some sort of experiment or way of creating like his ultimate mm-hmm. successor or enforcer or something, um, I can kind of see. Um, but yeah, it's de- it's definitely weird because you would think that he would just he would take this baby and then he would like cryopreserve it or put it or shrink it and put it right. under a jar or something. But but raising it and and like instructing it and educating it and like nurturing it, it seems. Seems odd for for Brainiac, but you could see that maybe they could write some way where like he's got some ultimate end that he's working towards. Whereas like he was almost destroyed. Like like you could I could now I'm sort of like writing it in my head. He was almost his mission almost failed. He was almost destroyed by Seg and Adam and Lobo. Like his entire like thousand year long journey to like preserve all life and make it perfect was almost was almost cut short. Perhaps mm-hmm. in his own mind due to his own hubris mm-hmm. you know he thought mm-hmm. he was infallible and these randos on this one planet krypton almost stopped him right yeah so he needs something else some some other juice that he didn't have before and what if he can take the best of the people that almost stopped him put that guy under a yellow sun for 20 years yeah teach him to love brainiac and and hate everyone else and then mm-hmm. take that guy out into the universe like when, when put in that terms it does kind of seem like a very cold calculating Kind of like the Borg needed a Locutus. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they needed a bridge yeah. to the people they were trying to conquer. Yeah. So I don't know. That's that's just me writing it in my head. Maybe that's maybe maybe not what they were going to do. But it definitely would be. It would have been like a very surprising because when you see the actor sure, who absolutely. we recognize as Brainiac, but in yeah, without all the makeup, step out and like embrace this kid, and we learn. Oh wait, this is Jor-El. Like because we're trained as viewers. Like oh, this kid is being picked on. He's wearing glasses. Maybe he would have even been wearing red and blue or something. Oh, yeah, is that yeah. like young Clark somehow? Because maybe we didn't even realize right. we were in we Russia at first. subverts our expectation yeah. when he gets laser blasted. Yeah. yeah. So I think that would have been kind of cool. But I mean, if we're at that point, then we're really in un- uncharted territory. Like, Because yeah. how do we get from there back to... This is the father of Krypton, Superman. Yeah, right? exactly. And then, like, this is on Ran and like the, everybody's everywhere. And who? And so I don't, I don't know how you... What sort of, you know, cohesive Mojo, story you yeah. build that brings all the characters back together. Like... Is Seg going to have to take, would would they have had to take one of Zod's ships, find fuel for it and take it to Earth to stop Brainiac? So it would have been like Segel and uh, everybody else in like 1960s Earth trying to fight Brainiac? Like maybe, but that, that, wouldn't that be weird? Like because why would Brainiac then come back to Krypton, which you'd kind of have to do because that's where all the other characters are. Yeah. I don't know. It would have been weird. But I, I'd, I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll get to see that if it gets picked up by DC Universe or something. But um it definitely it definitely piques people's interest. Like that's that's something we haven't seen before. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. <laughs> Brainiac raising raising Jor-El on Earth to be his, you know, brainwashed minion. Yeah. minion is definitely something we haven't seen before. Yeah. The ultimate revenge. Yeah. So it's too bad. It's too bad to see it go. I mean, the, and what I mentioned earlier about you know maybe if Lobo does end up going to series, mm-hmm. Lobo shows up at the end here, and and he and Seg are going to go off, and because Lobo still got a bounty, I guess, on Brainiac, and Seg obviously wants to find his son. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they if they do, Lobo does end up going to series. If they wanted to, they could kind of turn it into like Lobo and Segel, you know, being you know. Lethal weaponing it across the galaxy, mm-hmm. basically, um, or they it's could crazy. have the se- have the Lobo series be set at any time in his life, you know. Yeah, well I mean, it's before, just Lobo. well, I, or they could have Lobo set in the present day, you know, fifty years because he presumably, I'm assuming, doesn't really age. I'm not sure that's ever been definitively shown, but one would think that he wouldn't really age, right? Kind of like Wolverine, yeah. The ceiling factor would keep him perpetually thirty five or whatever, right? Yep. So. If they want to do the Lobo series set in present day, then they could bring in all sorts of DC Comics characters without sort of being handicapped like this show is. If they want to bring in a DC Comics character, they have to either have it be their grandfather or a really young version of them or explain why they've traveled back in time, right? Right, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's too bad to see it go. I, I'm going to enjoy it. Like, it felt like, I'm not sure how, lo- how long it was between seasons one and two. It's probably like 
12 to 18 months. It felt like forever, didn't it? Didn't it feel like the show had been gone for? I was like, wait, who are these characters? Like, it felt like it had been three or four years, but yeah, I know it, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It just felt like this is around the time we should be getting more Krypton. And then you were like, was that show even renewed? I remember you even asking me that on the show. I, I was did. like, oh, it is coming back because it, it felt like a long time before we even heard right. whether it was That's renewed true. or not. Yeah. Maybe I just missed it. Maybe it was renewed immediately and I just missed it, but it felt like it was close to a year before we even knew if it was coming back. Yeah. That anyway, I am going to miss it. I feel like I feel like the yeah, I feel like the cast, like, and it is to their credit, like, because it is. I mean, people would say this about everything from Krypton to Titanic to The Hobbit to everything else. Like, when you know how the story ends, do you really need this prequel? Yeah. But any story can be good and and satisfying if it's if it's done well. And I feel like there are characters here. There's versions of characters. Like Segel was a character that had appeared like in two panels. Speaking of James Robinson mm-hmm. Starman of James Robinson Starman series, and I don't think anywhere else. Um, uh, certainly Adam Strange is a character from the comics certainly General Zod is obviously but characters like Lyda and her mother and mm-hmm. Nyssa and Kem those are characters that, that hadn't existed before in the comics at all and I feel like the writers and the actors turned those into really memorable ca- characters that I wouldn't mind seeing show up in some you know Krypton set flashback sequences or stories or whatever like some story in an annual that deals with you know Jor-El you know We've seen a million stories about this kind of thing, but Jor-El, you know, trying to convince the Science Council to mm-hmm. do whatever. What if we say, oh, his his uncle Kem, right? Like this, uh, right. this you know, blood brother that his father had, and he comes in and tries to advise him. Or, or you know, Nissa is there, and maybe she's like Jor-El's peer instead of Segel's peer, but we see like this blonde woman who's like a little bit scheming, but also has a good heart, and you know, we see and kind of a badass, and we see her there, and it's like. Kind of like how everybody sort of assumed they would bring Chloe Sullivan into the Superman comics and then they kind of made a half-hearted attempt but didn't really, but I feel like they probably should have. And then maybe they've missed their window for that. Yeah. Like they could bring some of these characters in or just, just straight up make it in the present day, right? Like like have have a reveal that, that um, Lyda Zod, General Zod's mother, is for whatever reason also in the Phantom Zone and she comes up but she's like younger than her son is because of when she was sent into the zone or whatever Mm -hmm. and now she's there and Superman has to deal with the mother of his greatest enemy but she doesn't know what her future holds or whatever like you could do some interesting stories with these characters and certainly there's been a long history of DC taking characters that were created for other media everyone from Jimmy Olsen to Renee Montoya to Harley Quinn and bringing them into the comics yep um so yeah, I think it'd be fun to see stuff like that. I don't know if they'll do it. I mean, if, it's not like the show was exactly setting the world on fire in terms of popularity. If it was, it wouldn't be canceled. Whereas Smallville was successful enough to last for 10 years. So I feel like there was a lot more of an impetus to bring Chloe into the comics. And even then they didn't really take advantage of it. Right. But yeah, much in the same way that I think there was talk for like a hot minute about bringing Fish Mooney into the Batman comics. Yeah, I don't think it ever really good. happened. I feel like much in that vein, there's there's cool characters here that they could take and, and use in the Superman comics. Because every time you see Krypton in flashbacks or whatever, it's always like the same five people, right? Like it's always Jor-El and Lara, Zor-El, Zod, mm-hmm. and maybe like one other person, sometimes Jack Sewer or something, that, or some other person that I'm forgetting, you know, right. and that's it. I remember there's one great story, I think David Goyer wrote it, mm-hmm. um, in, what was it in? Was it in Action Comics 900? It was some big anniversary issue, where it was like, it was basically a story about Jor-El's lab assistant. Like, it sounds, it sounds funny, but like this assistant that Jor-El had, who like looked up to this guy, you know, this mm-hmm. guy looked up to Jor-El and would do anything for him, and Jor-El just couldn't, it is a story about him like having to work up the courage to tell this kid that idolized him like look our life our the work that you've been helping me with has basically proved that your life is going to be cut short at 20 or something right, right. and this is like we don't think about stuff like that we think about it, like, the science council not believing him and the random citizens running around the streets as the planet blows, blows up but here's this guy that like devoted his life to helping Jor-El because he thinks he's creating this wonderful scientific utopian future for Krypton mm-hmm. instead what he's really doing is confirming his own death in like two weeks, you know? Yep. And there's this really touching story about this guy who you never really thought. Of course, Jor-El would probably have somebody helping him with his work, right? Like, right. we always just see these scenes of him like with all the big screens or holograms. There's like, all oh, Lara, just as bad as yeah. I feared, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, this, so it's always like the same five guys on Krypton. You never really, I feel like the, this, there's, there's a lot to be mined there, much in the same way that there's a lot to be mined by stories about, and it's why, you know, we've got, series like Pennyworth now which we still haven't watched but you tell stories about Krypton before it blew up or you tell stories there's a reason why the first third of the Richard Donner movie was set on Krypton because you you care even if you don't learn a lot about them the performances are good and the writing is good and everything like you care about Jor-El and Lara you know 
Marlon yes. Brando and Susanna York there. But when the planet mm-hmm. blows up, you care. You know what I mean? And when, when in Superman the Animated Series, when the planet blows up, you care about them because Christopher McDonald and Fiola something or other. I can't remember who played his mother. Because the whole first episode of Superman the Animated Series is just about them mm-hmm. and their, you know, trials and tribulations. You care about that. You care when Krypton explodes, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's something that's, that you can you can do a lot of good stuff with that because the more you care about the fact that Krypton – because for Superman, it's just an abstract idea, right? Because he didn't know it. That's one of the cool things about Superman versus Supergirl is she remembers it. Like she feels right. that loss. Mm-hmm. He didn't – he never knew it. It's just an abstract concept to him. He can travel back in time there. He can, he can talk to holographic Jor-El in the fortress. He can read all the books he wants and do whatever he wants and, you know – fight all the phantoms on criminals but he still has no concept of what it means to live on krypton or be a kryptonian right but if we the audience you know care about this place that was destroyed and every time he talks about it or every time we see the symbology or whatever if we're like oh that that place was so beautiful and they almost made it but that for their one tragic flaw right. it was destroyed like we feel that tragedy yeah you know yeah so i feel like there's there's a there's a lot of good stuff that can come from telling stories even though they are you know the end is known um about that in the past so Right. Yeah. So I think that it was a, it was a good it was a noble idea to do to do this series. I think that it just maybe it was just a bad fit for the network, or right. you know maybe they should have done something that was a little bit more like kind of what we thought it was going to be, like court intrigue on the planet Krypton mm-hmm. instead of it being this action sci fi series with all the special effects. Yeah, like yeah. it seems like the budgets kind of what did it in, right? If they tried to do it like a little more low key, mm-hmm. like more like Gotham, like a procedural that happened to be set on Krypton, or like. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the first yeah. few seasons of Game of Thrones before all the dragons came in. Um, then maybe mm-hmm. it could have found like an equilibrium with the audience versus budget, you know. But right. maybe they just shot a little too high. So it's too bad. Yeah. Yep. That's well. it. Well, if uh, if you would like to reach out to the show, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And on Twitter, we are at smartspodcast. Uh, how about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about... Was that Krypton blowing up? Yes. Very good. (laughs)